Good, good morning. This is Shelley Reback from Midpoint. I'll be on vacation until August 10th, and during that time, we'll be rerunning some of our great Midpoint shows that you may have missed in the past. So stay tuned, and we'll be back with you live on August 10th. Good morning, and welcome to Midpoint Wednesday. I'm Shelley Reback, your host for WMNF's midweek, mid-morning dose of news and public affairs with a local perspective. You are, of course, listening to WMNF 88.5, Tampa Bay's only non-commercial independent radio brought to you by you because we are supported by our generous listeners and our volunteer radio activists like Jessica Green, who's running our soundboard, and Barbara Fling, who will be answering your calls today. We're very grateful for their help. You are always welcome to join the conversation on Midpoint 2 with your questions and comments by calling 813-239-9663, emailing dj at wmnf.org, or texting us at 813-443-0885. We'd love to hear from you. I'm really excited about today's topic. We are taking a bit of a break from our usual deep dive into the dark depths of Florida politics, the struggle for civil and human rights, and the fight for social justice, because it was getting downright depressing. I don't know about you, my friends, but there is only so much of the machinations of the DeSantis administration that I can talk about before I start to feel really anxious and depressed. So I thought it was time to recognize that that seems to be the prevailing mood right now for many of us. We want to be recovering from the pandemic, but it still seems with us. We are watching the January 6th hearings in Congress, and we're wondering why there have been no consequences for the people inside and outside our government who tried to take it all down, who plotted a coup, fomented an insurrection, and fostered the death of our democracy, and who may be plotting still more mayhem in the future. Meanwhile, the rent and the temperature are both too damn high. It is enough to make anyone anxious and depressed. So I wanted to know what we could do about that. So let me ask you listeners, how is your mood? Are you feeling depressed, anxious, out of sorts? Maybe you're clinically depressed and you're already on medication. But maybe that medication has stopped being as effective for you as it once was. Or maybe it has some very unpleasant side effects for you. Insomnia, loss of libido and sexual dysfunction, weight gain, confusion and fatigue. These are all some of the side effects associated with the treatment of depression and other mental health problems. And some of these problems are side effects of the drugs and pharmaceuticals that are prescribed to improve our mental state. There has to be a better way, right? My guest today thinks he has a better way. My guest today is chemist and researcher, Dr. Chris Witowski, one of the founders and CEO of a new local startup company called Solera Bioscience. Dr. Witowski is going to tell us about the future of what he calls mindful medicine for mental health, drugs from nature, And he's going to explain how he and his team are researching new treatments for mental and behavioral health with psychedelics. By that, I mean drugs derived from natural substances that happen to be psychoactive and potentially hallucinogenic. In exciting news, on February 25th of 2021, Solera Bioscience 
in collaboration with the University of South Florida, received DEA approval to research DMT, psilocybin, and psilocin, which is the active ingredient naturally found in ayahuasca tea and magic mushrooms. Since then, Solera has already had some very positive results from one of its newly developed chemical entities that's been tested in mice. I know we are going to learn a lot today. So congratulations on all that and welcome to WMNF, Dr. Witowski. Hello and thanks for having me and please we're, just call me Chris. Okay, Chris. Well, we're happy to have you with us. You and Solera are pioneers in psychedelic research, at least locally, um, but you're a chemist, not a psychiatrist, right? Correct, yeah. And tell us, what is Solera trying to do? So it's really just harnessing psychedelics themselves. Uh, these are natural products derived from nature. Um, you know, a, a fact that I like to say is more than 60% of all FDA approved drugs start out as a natural substance and then they're optimized through various methods in order to produce things that are very helpful for people. And just so happens psychedelics, many of them are naturally derived like psilocybin from magic mushrooms, dimethyltryptamine from uh, a mimosa tree, which can be found here in Florida. Uh, even LSD started You're not out. Give us the directions to find it, are you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, sorry, not that content here. Um, even LSD was uh, actually from a, a fungal pathogen of wheat uh, very, very long ago, and it was optimized into currently LSD or acid. So just finding these compounds, making ways to deliver them to humans a little more efficiently, or you know, making small modifications to these compounds so that you can reduce some side effects like hallucinations, because um, what we're seeing and, and other researchers are seeing within um, this type of research is you don't need to hallucinate in order to have benefits for things like depression, PTSD, anxiety. I mean, I, I firmly believe that these compounds have the ability to change the way that we treat psychiatric disorders like depression, um, anxiety, specifically even things like Alzheimer's disease. I really think they have the ability to, to change the course of the disease. Wow. Well, that seems really exciting work. Um, but how can you do this when these substances that you're naming are all Schedule One drugs? They're illegal. Yes, they're illegal to possess. Uh, however, you can research them going through a lot of hoops with the uh, DEA. Uh, actually, um, my co-founder, Dr. Jackie Som, is speaking in about 50 minutes uh, with the DEA uh, in front of um, you know a lot of legal experts to relax some of their scheduling methods. So a Schedule One drug means it has a high potential for abuse and no accepted medical benefits. Um, both of these actually are not true with psychedelic compounds. So um, you just have to get approval. It's not always easy. It is a lengthy process. Uh, however, we're working with the University of South Florida here in Tampa. Um, and most universities have the ability to, to go through this process a little bit easily. So like you mentioned last February, we, we got approval and that's you know how we've been doing our research legally here within the Tampa area. It's it's so difficult that we can't even get um, cannabis legalized, <laughs> um, you know, it's, right? Uh, that's that's a, a good one actually because uh, THC, uh, the main 
compound that gets you high in cannabis. It's been an approved drug since 1985, I believe. Uh, Dronabinol was used in HIV patients to help them eat, gain weight. Uh, and CBD was an approved drug um, a few years ago. So both of those compounds are approved drugs. Both of them are the main metabolites in cannabis. And cannabis is still illegal, even though you look across the nation and, and there's millions of people that are benefiting from cannabis. And it's the way they've gone about it is not working clearly. Um, so I really think we are on the precipice of really changing some of the viewpoints on how these things work and, and how beneficial they really are over traditional medications. Well, one of the things I noticed in doing research um, for this show to have you here um, is that um, your your research seems to be focused a lot on DMT, right? Mm-hmm. Now, DMT, say what it is again, because I'll mess it up. It's dimethyltryptamine. Dimethyltryptamine. Okay. So, you know, I before I became a radio activist here on WMNF, you know, I was a criminal defense attorney for 35 years. And I can tell you that I never had a rich parent call me because their college student kid got arrested for possession of DMT. It's just not a drug that was, you know, widely used recreationally um, or possessed in my experience as a defend as a defender of you know drug defendants i i you know it's new to me so tell me what what more about it and why you've chosen dmt to be somewhat of the focus of your research dmt is a very very interesting compound um actually it's it's been found in the brains of rats and pigs a lot of other animals it's found throughout nature it's it hasn't been effectively determined to be found in the human brain, but I think scientifically we can hypothesize that it's certainly produced. Um, there are theories that uh, before you die, actually your brain and your lungs produce DMT in order to preserve the brain. It's a great neuroprotectant. Um, and it just so happens to be hallucinogenic at, at higher doses. Um, we like DMT at Solera because it is naturally produced in the brain. It's there for a reason. Trying to figure out why that is is, um, you know, part of why we're doing the research we're doing. But it, it it can't be delivered orally, like you know most medications can. It cannot. It cannot. Mm. Um, so that may explain its absence from the street drug pantheon. Uh, mostly it's it's used in ayahuasca where you have other compounds in there so you can take it orally but I would say most people recreationally will smoke it or inhale it in some form uh, so we're creating new ways to d- get this compound in your body that it doesn't have to go through an intravenous needle which is currently how it's being done in clinical trials so we've developed a transdermal patch and, and this is something that both myself and co-founder have, have commercialized in the past is transdermal products. And this provides more of a low like dose. Like a nico- nicotine patch, right? Exactly. Okay. Yeah. And uh, this will provide a lower dose over multiple days so that you don't have the hallucinogenic effects. But, you know, I think maybe listeners are familiar with the term microdosing um, and, and creating this in a product that... It would be harder to abuse from a recreational standpoint, which is obviously something that we have to take in mind as we're developing these. Wow. So uh, you mentioned microdosing, which seems to be sort of a fashionable thing among, you know, tech bros and and not just tech bros, but, you know, uh, that seems to be the locus of where a lot of the, the talk about microdosing is. Although I should say, I know that there are some, you know, pretty popular uh, books recently about people who've chosen to to microdose um, for their own 
you know, health benefits to increase mental acuity, you know, perception, and basically to increase, you know, to better function in their in their worlds, um, not solely to address mental health problems like severe depression. I know, for example, Michael Pollan, the author, just wrote a book, How to Change Your Mind, uh, that deals with uh, with that. And uh, Ayelet Waldman, um, Michael Shabon's wife, wrote a book called The Very Good Day about microdosing with LSD um, to address her severe depression problems. Um, a lot of this microdosing, I don't want to call it a fad, but, uh, you know, this microdosing seems to be among people who are not necessarily trying to treat mental health or uh, psychiatric problems, but just to simply better function in life. And I think it, it can be used for both. Um, you know, certainly more rigorous scientific uh, research needs to be conducted, but certainly a lot of people are using it to improve their performance at work. It is an energizing uh, thing like caffeine can be. It does enhance creative thinking and, and outside the box thinking. Uh, that has been pretty rigorously uh, concluded. Um, but I'll, I'll give you a personal story. So my grandmother, um, she actually is a PhD in nursing about four years ago was diagnosed with stage four bladder cancer. Um, Sorry. Thank you. Uh, she's doing great, I will mention. Uh, she's treated at Mofford Cancer Center, obviously had a, a pretty pretty rough time of it for about a year, undergoing chemo and multiple surgeries. And she's always been a very healthy person, but um, I introduced her to the research. This was about when we started Solera back in 2019. And she was open to, you know, trying some of these compounds. And, and you know, I was able to procure, procure her uh, microdoses of psilocybin and it, there were days where she was very very down very depressed end of life type um angst anxiety depression like she had never experienced and by taking these on a, a regimen she was able to feel much better days that she dosed she was much more happy much more active um I mean, she would tell you today that, you know, she's here because of these compounds. And these are just small doses, not large doses, which obviously can have life-changing properties. But, um, you know, we're trying to figure out the best way to dose these compounds and provide benefit for patients that need it. Well, you know, your grandmother was very fortunate. She had access to you. And I suspect that some of these really wealthy tech bros in Silicon Valley have their own private chemists and their own, you know, private sources for being able to obtain these schedule one uh, drugs to to do their microdosing, that's not available to everybody. Uh, no, I mean you know mushrooms they're they're available. Um, they're becoming a little more uh, popular, certainly um, in the last few years. I think the pandemic has put a lot of this mental health. Um, in focus for a lot of people, and you know they grow naturally kind of all over the place. In Florida, if you want to walk through a cow pasture, find manure, uh, they certainly can be found there. Um, so they're natural substances. They're, they're produced out in nature. They're not necessarily hard to get. Um, but yeah, they obviously have benefits. Yeah, Karen from Dunedin wrote in to say that I know several people get spores from the internet and they microdose mushrooms 
It helps them with anxiety and depression. That's from Karen and Dunedin. And I should remind our listeners that we're talking with Dr. Chris Witowski from Solera Bioscience about his team's research into using psychedelics for treatment of mental and behavioral health problems. Uh, your questions and comments are welcome by calling 813-239-9663, emailing dj at wmnf.org, or texting 813-443-0885. Uh, we'd love to have you join us in this conversation. So, um, so Chris, uh, it's interesting that the... Uh, your your company and many other companies are involved in this research to produce treatments for various psych, uh, psychiatric problems, disorders. Um, and I'm wondering um, if you think that the work that you're doing to liberalize the availability of these types of products for medical treatment is is going to help make these products more available to people who may just want performance enhancers. You know, the way that cannabis has now kind of permeated all levels of society, uh, you know, into every, uh, I think that, that I read somewhere that the largest growth in people seeking access to cannabis was among the retirees, people <clears throat> over 65, for example, um, you know, People are looking for things that will enhance their quality of life, not just uh, to, you know, cure their psychiatric disorders. How are we doing with that? Can we can we expect that too? Uh, yeah, I would say you know the highest rates of depression are actually in older people. A lot of them are on are on antidepressants, anti anxiety medications. So you're seeing a lot of young people too. Uh, they have the highest growth rates in terms of mental health disorders, largely depression and anxiety, you know, for various reasons. But really, the industry can be broken down into two channels. You've got more of the cannabis-like model where it's state-by-state state regulated. Obviously, these compounds are still federally illegal, but states can enact their own laws so that people can access them. Uh, you're seeing it in places like Oregon. I think they're the furthest ahead. I think they've decriminalized all drugs basically in Oregon. Um, we're looking at it from more of a regulated pathway through the FDA in order to produce medications that people can access for specific conditions. And these can largely be insurance reimbursed, not out-of-pocket therapies like what you're seeing with cannabis. Um, so just kind of want to draw those distinctions there because I would say largely us at Solera, we're advocates for, you know, psychedelics themselves because they do have the potential to change many, many, many people's lives. And however people access them is is fine, honestly. Um, you know, I think people should have the ability to take care of themselves as they see fit. Um, and things like cannabis, things like psychedelics obviously have a lot of benefits over medications that doctors prescribe. So um, however they want to access it, you know, we're not going to, to advocate uh, one way or the other, but I think people should have the ability to, to choose what is right for them. You know, you mentioned Oregon, and that's pretty interesting. Uh, as I said, as I was researching for this show, I learned, um, as you said, that Oregon has pretty much decriminalized um, a lot of um, drug use. And one of the things that they did with respect 
to psychedelics is that um, rather than treat psychedelics as a medical um, as a medical as a medication, um, they are trying to develop, um, I guess, a distribution system where people can go to psychedelic facilitators rather than their doctor, rather than needing a prescription to be reimbursed by insurance. You know, they can go to a place where there are not necessarily medical people, but people to guide someone through a psychedelic experience with these substances. Um, and the, the problem, of course, is expense. You know, it's expensive <laughs> to, you know, rent a place, make it nice and calming and, and serene, you know, create this atmosphere that isn't going to be disruptive to somebody's trip and, and then have these trained facilitators, um, you know, be present with them to guide them through their experience. I, I see a lot of I see a lot of issues between you know the people who want that type of accessibility to psychedelics and the people who want the medical you know uh, industry essentially to control access to it. And that's a really important point. <clears throat> so most of the psychedelic trial studies um, dosing to date has been under the the watchful eye of a physician, largely psychotherapists who who help people through their experience, help them rationalize it. Um, For instance, MDMA uh, might be known as ecstasy to some people. It's currently in phase three clinical trials for PTSD. The results are remarkable. 67% of people no longer classifies having PTSD after one year and a couple of doses. Wow. It's it's remarkable. You're seeing similar things with psilocybin and depression, and it lasts a very long time. It creates different changes in your brain, and this talk therapy is is very helpful to to help really provide lasting changes, lifelong changes in patients that have these diseases. Um, it just so happens that you have to have a lot of watchful training. Um, you have to be in the clinic. Uh, you have to dose, have a psychedelic trip, uh, sometimes four to eight hours the entire day in a clinic. For a lot of people, that's a lot to handle. And like you said, it, it is expensive. Um, U.S. insurance companies don't cover this type of therapy. Talk therapy is largely not covered. And I think what you're going to see is a lot of people are going to fall under this umbrella where they can access it, but the cost of that therapy is going to be very, very expensive for most people. Um, there are retreats, say, in Jamaica and Costa Rica, all over the world. But again, you have to fly out there. You have to be there for five days. These are tens of thousands of dollars. Certainly they work, but for a large portion of the population, they're not going to be able to access this. And this is why we're going through the path of creating products that people can take home and access at home, not have to be under physician care. These are things that are more likely to be imbursed by reinsurance. Um, And certain people say if you have high blood pressure, if you have a history of psychosis or schizophrenia, they're not going to be able to access psychedelics because this can, you know, create side effects for them that are not great. So there are reasons to initially go through a doctor to gain access to psychedelics because if you have these conditions you shouldn't you shouldn't use them and you know certainly if you go through a doctor and and that way 
you know, they're going to look after your health first and foremost. It's, you know, the Hippocratic Oath. Um, you know, some of these retreat centers, they're more profit motivated. Mm-hmm. So maybe they won't have the same safety guidelines that, you know, medical physicians within the U.S. would. But, you know, we're still at the very, very early days of sort of this whole movement happening or again happening from the 1970s. So um, I think we're going to see a lot of changes, a lot of a lot of um, positive impacts happening over the next five, 10 years, certainly, whether it be from the pharmaceutical sense or from the state-by-state models, because I do think it, it will happen on both sides. Wow. Okay. We're talking with Dr. Chris Witowski, who's uh, here with us from Solera Bioscience, which is a local startup company. Um, and his, he's telling us about his team's research into using psychedelics uh, for treatment of mental and behavioral health problems. Your c- questions and comments uh, would be very welcome if you give us a call at 813-239-9663, or you can email us at dj at wmnf.org, or you can text us at 8 8- one three four four three zero eight eight five. If you have any questions for Chris Witowski, um, then now's the time to pose them. So um, now ke- ketamine is another uh, psychedelic that is, or natural, uh, you know, uh, product that people have been using for treatment of severe depression. Now, I, as I understand it, it was, uh, it has been available for a long time in the medical profession for uses. I think it's an anesthetic, mm-hmm. um, but and of course, it also is a street drug that people use recreationally. Um, but now it's being used for treatment of severe depression. Uh, what about that? Yeah, so ketamine, actually, it's not a natural product. Ketamine was discovered, I think, back in the 1950s. Uh, if the listeners are familiar with PCP, right. it was synthetic chemists who were Angel trying to make dust. similar compounds to PCP, and that's how they found ketamine, surprisingly. Yeah. Um, it has been around since, I believe, the 1960s or 70s, largely used in um, combat uh, it, it works similar for pain relief as does opioids without breathing problems. Uh, it's used a lot in surgeries within the United States. And then in 2019, it was approved for treatment-resistant depression. Um, this is administered as a nasal spray. You go into a clinic. Uh, the product is called Spravato. Um, and the similar model that we've been talking about where you go into a, a, a clinic, you have the drug there, you... Uh, dose the drug, you're there for two to four hours, um, you have your psychedelic experience, and then you know you have someone take you home. And it was really uh, a, a change in, I think, how we treat healthcare. Um, you know, for a long time, depression has been SSRIs, typical antidepressants, but there hasn't been any innovation there in in 40 or 50 years. So this was sort of a new drug that has new properties. It acts very rapidly. So within hours, uh, patients' uh, depression scores are much, much lower. With antidepressants, you have to take them for two to four weeks before there's any effect. So psychedelics like psilocybin, DMT, they work very similar to ketamine. Ketamine only works for about two weeks, though, before you have to redose. I see. other psychedelics like DMT and psilocybin, you know, we're looking at about three months, maybe six months before the dosing regimen has to be uh, re-upped or, or um, you know, reinitiated. So it seems to be a bit more effective than current therapies, but certainly, you know, there are other ways and other compounds that are going to be more effective than ketamine. 
So um, one of the things about um, the work that you're doing with DMT and psilocybin uh, researchers, um, one of the things they tout is that it doesn't have the same kind of negative side effects that these SSRs, uh, antidepressants, seem to have for a lot of people. Is that true? It is true. Um, You know, one of the the major side effects of ketamine is the dissociative hallucinogenic effects or however you want to describe it. Um, With SSRIs, you take one pill every day, basically for the rest of your life. And I mean, there's so many different ways that those drugs affect you. It changes your brain chemistry in ways that I don't think your brain ever quite recovers. Um, It causes sleep problems, weight gain, you know, lack of just general desire. I think people right. just are largely apathetic. Loss of libido, fatigue, <laughs> weight gain, um, you know, uh, just a lot, you know, sometimes joint pain, mm-hmm. uh, nausea, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just a lot of side effects um, that our uh, people complain about, you know, from taking them. Are you telling me that these natural products, they don't, they don't have these side effects? I think it comes down to the frequency of dose. If you were to take something every day for the rest of your life, you know, largely you you probably would have some changes in in the way your body functions. But since you only have to take these every once in a while, um, you're not going to have the same types of side effects. Or if they are, they're going to be very acute and not something that you have to deal with on a day-to-day basis. We have an email here from Susan who asks... uh, Chris, are there any of your psychedelic products or therapies available now for people who are already diagnosed with major depressive disorder? Are you doing any human clinical trials or do you have any planned? And if so, how does one sign up to be a participant? Good question, Susan. Yeah, thanks, Susan. Um, We do not have any available products uh, to date. Uh, We are going to begin a phase one clinical trial, uh, I would say next year. And this would be for our low-dose DMT patch. Um, you know, we initially looking for healthy volunteers in these studies uh, just to prove out safety and tolerability. It's sort of the, the checklist that you have to go through to get to an approved drug. Um, if people are suffering from things like major depressive disorder, treatment-resistant depression, you know, there are ketamine clinics that are, you know, widely available, um, you know, throughout the Tampa Bay area, even throughout the U.S. Um, you go into a clinic, you, you get your ketamine. Typically, it's done IV. Um, these would likely be out of pocket, not covered by insurance. Right. Um, it is effective. Um, I would say, you know, largely these these are effective, especially to people that don't respond well to antidepressants. And that's really, I think, where you're seeing the most benefit. Um, you know, there are other emerging therapies like TMS, uh, transcranial magnetic stimulation. Which is a non-drug, uh, you know, therapy. It does, there's no, you don't ingest or... or imbibe or or get intravenously any substance it just they hold a thing next to your brain and there are magnetic waves and that's the treatment yeah and um you know that seems to be a a growing method for treating these types of things it just creates new brain waves uh within your brain and it does have an effect um and it does seem to be covered by insurance yes Correct. And Medicare even, I read. Yeah, so there are more things now available to people that are 
under these uh, types of afflictions. So, you know, I think we're, again, seeing a change in, in how we diagnose people and how we treat people with these disorders. So, Susan, you can Google ketamine clinics in Tampa or TMS treatment in Tampa. At least those are currently available. And I suppose that Solera Bioscience will be putting out a call for volunteers at the appropriate time when you're ready to, yeah. uh, you know, to do a, a, your own clinical trial. We will. Right. Okay. Uh, well, thank you for your uh, comments, Susan. We appreciate that. So um, now what about um, things like uh, lion's mane mushrooms, for example? My son, who's, you know, a young person, <laughs> has been telling me about lion's mane mushrooms as a like a, you know, to increase mental acuity and, and uh, fun, you know, your performance, function, mental performance, that type of thing. What about, that's a natural substance and that it doesn't seem to be illegal. No, lion's mane is not illegal. Um, you know, you can buy it from a variety of online sources. I do believe there is one local source where you can get fresh lion's mane mushroom. Uh, there's a farm in downtown Tampa that the name is eluding me. Um, yes, yes, yes. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I do believe they sell them there. Um, you know, aside from, you know, the potential medical benefits, fresh mushroom, f uh, fresh lion's mane mushroom pan fried with butter is absolutely delicious. Ah, great. Um, so <laughs> highly recommend that. Um, I would say on the medical side with lion's mane, there's still more research that needs to be done in order to kind of conclude there are medical benefits. Um, you know, I do think you have to take a considerable amount to get maybe a similar effect to a microdose of, say, psilocybin mushrooms. I mean, we're talking, you know, maybe uh, 0.2 grams of psilocybin mushrooms is equivalent to about two grams of uh, dried lion's mane mushrooms. So it's just... Um, the research isn't as conclusive with lion's mane, but I do think there are benefits there. Okay. I'm going to take a call from Barbara from Tampa. Barbara, you're on the air with Chris Witowski. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. I, I, was, um, I was actually just speaking with someone the other day out in a recreational uh, setting. Of, she, she is a host for this type of experience. Um, a host, then, like a facilitator for... Um, yeah, she, she actually, from what I gathered, yeah, she she does, she's licensed and she's actually a grower for, for, for uh, not for mushrooms. Well, I don't know exactly if she grows the mushrooms or not, but she is trained in, you know, what to do with what product and uh -huh. how much to use and... Uh -huh. And so, and what did she report to you about her use of them or with, with people who come to her, her clients? Uh, she, I mean, she says, she asked, well, I specifically asked her because I have someone that I know that has ADD. And she said that the mushrooms can create new pathways in your brain to help with that. That may be a simplistic explanation of it. Well, Chris, uh, ADD, we haven't talked about mushrooms or psilocybin uh, or DMT, for that matter, for treatment of ADD. What about that? Mm -hmm. It's like you mentioned, it, it does create new neural pathways within your brain. That is, you know, widely scientifically concluded now. And for things like ADD, D, uh, there is potential there. You know, I'm trying to stick as much as I can as science, but um, 
you know, obviously once you start giving hallucinogenic drugs to, you know, ADD starts younger in life, children, uh, obviously that's a very sensitive population that you want to be very careful with. Um, you know, I, there is research actively being done here. Um, you know, I don't recommend giving hallucinogenic drugs to kids, certainly. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think people later on in life, it's certainly worth exploring. Um, I would start initially with smaller doses and then work your way up. Um, and, and really when it comes down to larger doses and, and having sort of the, the facilitator or clinician guided experience, having that faith and trust between yourself and the facilitator is very, very important. Um, you know, otherwise it, it can go down, you know, a, a bad trip, so to speak. And you just want to make sure that safety and comfort ultimately will lead to a better outcome for yourself. All right. Well, thanks, Barbara. Is there anything else? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Actually, um, I was going to ask about Parkinson's disease. Do you have any um, recommendations as to whether this might be something that could treat Parkinson's disease in the future? Good question. Thanks for your call. What about Parkinson's disease, Chris? And what about autism? Yeah, I think that is uh, an area that could be explored. Um, you know, Parkinson's disease is largely, there are a lot of drugs that work on the serotonin system uh, to treat Parkinson's. Psychedelics also work on the serotonin system. These compounds look like serotonin, a natural compound produced in your body to make you feel good. So, you know, how to dose it and things like that are yet to be, you know, concluded, but it's it's certainly an area that a lot of people are looking at. Um, you know, typically <laughs> trying to make science here using hand gestures, so this isn't going to work, but I'll do my best. Yeah, we're on radio. <laughs> no one can see you. <laughs> um, so for things like Parkinson's disease, you have a, a serotonin-like drug. And if you think of a light switch, so basically psychedelics are an on switch because it, it lights up your brain, <laughs> like sees crazy colors, etc. cetera. Uh, for most Parkinson's drugs, you want the light switch off. So, um, you know, there's, there's ways to, you know, modulate serotonin. So whether you have a drug that's maybe able to keep the lights on or keep the lights off, um, you know, these work largely on the same system. It's just finding, you know, the right switch in order to help those. Interesting. Um, we have Al from Bradenton on the line. Al, you're here with uh, Chris Witowski. What's your Hi, question? Uh, my wife had a stroke in 2018, and and she had occasional depression, which I can understand. And they prescribed sertraline for her. And I wonder if you knew anything about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, thanks, Al. Yeah, thanks, Al. Um, yeah, that is a common, you know, drug that that's used there. Um, I would say stroke research with psychedelics is initially quite promising. So like I mentioned, uh, psychedelics can help create new neural pathways within the brain. So for stroke patients, obviously, that's that's an area where they need to, you know, regrow brain cells or recreate new pathways that were maybe lost during the stroke. Um, the research so far, again, not you know, scientifically or FDA approved looks very promising. Um, it looks like psychedelic doses, uh, you know, large doses of psychedelics are not needed to have an effect. So, you know, if someone is on these um, or, you know, affected post-stroke, you know, smaller doses might be a place to start. And, you know, obviously for any of the behavioral um, aspects, depression, um, 
post-stroke, I certainly think psychedelics can be helpful. All right. Thank you. And we have Kai on the air from Tampa. Kai, you're here with Chris Witowski. Hi, yes. Thank you for taking my call. Appreciate it. Sure. Um, I I used to, I, I went through a lot of uh, antidepressants um, to try to find one to help. I'm, I've suffered with depression since I was 16. And uh, I, I took Lamotrigine for about nine years. Um, it didn't really help with the depression that much, but it helped kind of with the mood stabilizing. Um, I wasn't ever diagnosed with bipolar, just depression, but um, that seemed to help a little bit. Uh, I found out about microdosing um, and did some research on that, and I started doing that. Uh, I got off the Lamotrigine, of course, first and started doing the microdosing, and it helped a lot. But I was wondering, uh, I've heard a lot of people talk about doing a macro dose to kind of like reset everything. Uh, I just wondered what your opinion is on that. Like, if you, you know, if that's... If what that's what were you microdosing with, Kai? Uh, magic mushroom. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, let's ask Chris. Chris, what do you think about about that? Yeah, I think microdosing... It, <laughs> You know, trying to think simplistically is almost sort of like a mood stabilizer. It can be a mood uplifter um, for people that do have, you know, major depression or have been suffering for a long time. The larger doses or macrodosing can certainly be helpful to create more of a life changing experience. So, for things like microdosing, you know, there's different regimens out there, but maybe you take it every other day. Uh, or macrodosing, you take it once, maybe a year, once every six months, and you get. I would say maybe similar benefits, but for people that really have clinical depression, you know, suicidal ideation, you know, devastating things like that, the larger doses do seem to be helpful to kind of, you know, re make that reset where microdoses really wouldn't have that same type of effect. I wonder, um, like certain kinds of anxiety disorders where people are taking these like benzodiazepine, anti-anxiety drugs, Xanax, Ativan, Clonavan, even Valium. Um, it seems to me that w what I'm hearing from you is that psychedelics would be very helpful as an alternative to those, to the benzo drugs. Yeah, I, I think benzodiazepines are, are going to be the next opioid-like epidemic in this country. Uh, they're just widely overprescribed. You can't overdose, you know, a lot of drug-drug interactions with these compounds. They're highly addictive. So actually with our lead product, the DMT patch, we are looking at social anxiety disorder. Um, just because I think new innovations are needed for anxiety and, and especially for a microdose product like this that can be dosed outside of a clinical setting. Uh, I think can be very helpful. And, you know, for a lot of people that are taking psychedelics or have taken psychedelics, it is, at least in, you know, the first half hour, hour, pretty anxiety riddled. So giving people with anxiety a drug that will initially cause anxiety can create, you know, issues for them. So I certainly think microdosing and anxiety, I think really could be helpful together. Uh, we have a question here. Um from one of our listeners who says, what does the research show about the effectiveness of magic mushrooms on someone who is already taking SSRIs? In <laughs> other words, should they be like off those before they try the psychedelic regimen? This is a very, very good question. Um, so 
with SSRIs, it, it basically increases the amount of serotonin in your brain, and these compounds, psychedelics, largely are like serotonin. So <clears throat> I would say uh, it comes down to dosage. So if you are on SSRIs, I would start with a smaller dose first, um, see how you respond before increasing dosage, but they can be safely taken together. Um, you're seeing with a lot of clinical studies, uh, they're doing doses with psychedelics, with uh, SSRIs, and with psychedelics without SSRIs. So for people that are on antidepressants, you can't just go cold turkey off yeah. them because it's it's devastating. It's horrible for these people. I've, I've witnessed it firsthand. So, you know, obviously, if you want to go off your SSRIs, you can taper them down. But I think probably the most effective way and, and what research is showing is stay on your SSRIs, take your large psychedelic dose, and then see if you can't taper yourself off the SSRI. Okay, good to know. And we have uh, an email from Jane in St. Pete who says... Thanks for talking about alternative treatments uh, to mental health and other physical issues. Mental health issues are completely ignored in this country. It's time to stop the stigma and seek multiple types of treatments. Well, I think there's no argument here on that. No. <laughs> Thanks for that. <laughs> yeah. So, um, all right. Well, um, one of the things that I, uh, I wanted to talk to you about is um, if people are... are um, you know, financially able to participate in some of these alternative treatments. Um, have you have you had reports that they've been they've been successful? For example, the things that like the TMS or the ketamine treatments. I know that that's not your particular area of research, but um, I'm sure that you you know you you're aware of of the field. And so mm -hmm. you know what what do you think? That's all that's available right now to people legally. Anyway, yeah, the good thing about TMS therapy is it largely is insurance covered. Uh, it is a non drug uh, treatment. You know, basically go on, put on a little helmet, uh, simulates your brain. I do think that is something you have to do fairly regularly in order to have the benefits. Um, but for people that, you know, don't want to go to a ketamine clinic, spend a lot out of pocket. I mean, we're talking, you know, thousands of dollars for a few doses of ketamine. Um, and undergoing a dissociative out-of-body experience, you know, for some people, that's that's not something they want to do either. Yeah, that's scary for mm -hmm. some people. Um, you know, there are alternatives out there, and, you know, we're learning more every day. And I think, ultimately, it's it's up to the patient themselves to, to figure out what they're comfortable with, both for their own lifestyle and their own budget, um, before embarking on these. But I think in the next few years, you're going to see things like MDMA-approved potentially even next year uh, for PTSD, psilocybin in a few years for treat, um, treatment-resistant depression. Um, so the landscape and the paradigm is changing. There are a lot of clinical trials going on with these substances. So, you know, if people don't have the financial means to, to you know, go to a ketamine clinic right now, they can participate in these clinical trials. Go to clinicaltrials.gov. Uh, they can see all the areas that are oh, actively that's good recruiting. Infor information. Clinicaltrials.gov if you want to get in involved in some of these clinical trials. And there's hundreds of them going on actively right now within the U.S. Wow, that's good information. We're talking with 
Dr. Chris Witowski of Solera Bioscience about his team's research into using psychedelics for treatment of mental and behavioral health problems. Uh, if you want to give us a call, call 813-239-9663. You can email us at dj at wmnf.org or you can text us at 813-443-0885. We have a few minutes left uh, to... Uh, to take your uh, your calls and comments. And we have an email from uh, DeMarco who says, what about mescaline? Is that being used? It was always my favorite recreational trip. Uh, I can't say that I'm too familiar with mescaline and, and clinical trials. Uh, again, it's very similar to these other compounds we've been talking about. Um, much more uh, visual, I would say, uh, psychedelic than some of the other ones. But you know, I think works in the same way that, that some of these other compounds do. The only downfall from a clinical perspective of mescaline is it lasts a much longer time. So I think mescaline is somewhere between 8 to 12 hours for a trip. Um, you know, things like psilocybin, they last maybe 4 to 6 hours for a trip. So when you're trying to, to get people into a clinical setting, if you have one person that needs half a day as opposed to someone who needs a quarter of a day per dose... It just becomes much more easily able to to commercialize with a, a lower, um, you know, lower dosage uh, per time. Uh, even DMT, uh, when you smoke it or it's used intravenously, the whole trip is done in about maybe twenty to thirty minutes, um, and it's very intense. But you know, it, it works the same way as all the other ones. So trying to find out which one is right for you. I think, you know, there's, there's obviously personal experimentation, but, you know, there's, there's a lot of options in terms of, of compounds that can work for these various mental illnesses. I find it really interesting that you say that some of this, like, large dose uh, treatment with psychedelics can cause, uh, you know, long-lasting effects, you know, uh, good, happy effects in, in people mm-hmm. who have um, treatment-resistant depression, for example, or something. Hypothetically, you know, having um, having uh, you know the experience of long uh, of, of long ago large dose psychedelic trips, um, I, I I I just you know I wonder you know I I know everyone's different and dosing is is a major major issue and I know that that's particularly something that your company is working on um, and of course the strength of of things that are you know, obtained on the street, for example, as opposed to from, you know, a lab. Um, all of those things make a difference. But I just, you know, the the, the suggestion that there's long range effect um, from very occasional psychedelic use, I just find that, you know, hard to, hard to believe, <laughs> you know, I... It's something that we ponder at Solera quite regularly is how this actually works. And we're using computers and something called computational chemistry to figure out basically you can take a protein, a a serotonin uh, receptor within the brain. You can take a drug like LSD or psilocybin DMT, put it into this protein and see the different conformation of the protein, how water flows through the protein. And this gives you insight basically on an, an atomic level how these drugs are actually working. So it's something that we're doing right now to understand how this is working. That's just one part of the puzzle. Obviously, once you have the drug effect, there's a long-lasting change long after the drug effect is gone. So what happens there is still baffling. I think it's a to, mystery. Huh? Yeah, yeah. It's But I think... 
once you can understand that, it's going to change the whole landscape of how we treat mental health forever. All right. Well, um, I'm going to take one call, but it has to be really brief. Promise me you'll be brief, Mark, in Sarasota. You're on the air. Yes, good morning. All good right, morning. very Thank briefly. Very, much, very brief. Okay, I just have to understand. Um, brief. So mushrooms are, are, when you're talking about mushrooms, that we can affect a, a whole psychological chain, change just by microdosing. How much is microdosing? Like how many grams, say, of you know, uh, psilocybin, of magic mushroom would someone take? Not to, not to get high from it, but to affect that change. Okay, good question. Thank you, Mark. So for microdosing dried mushrooms, I would say 0.1 to 0.25 grams or 100 milligrams to 250 milligrams is a microdose. All right. Well, there you go. Um, I'm sorry that we don't have time for more questions. We're, you know, we're kind of piling up. I, I, I wish you would call in earlier in the show. Um, but as I warned Chris earlier, people tend to, to pile in, in their calls in the last few minutes of the show. Um, and, and that's understandable after they get a sense of, of what we're talking about. I want to, um, I want to thank uh, Chris Witowski for being with us um, from Salera Bioscience for joining us today and for sharing with us some of the exciting research that he and his team are pursuing in collaboration with USF. They're developing new drugs from natural psychedelics for the treatment of various mental health challenges like treatment-resistant de depression, PTSD, addiction even, maybe, mm -hmm. right? Addiction? Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and other problems. Um, if you joined us late in the show, feel free to go back and listen on demand from the Midpoint archives at wmnf.org slash midpoint. You can find the whole show there. And uh, you can listen on demand at your leisure. Or you can find us at WMNF Midpoint uh, podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. So I also want to thank our WMNF uh, volunteers who make this show go. We have Jessica Green on the soundboard today. We have Barbara Fling who answered phones for us. And as always, I want to thank you, the WMNF listeners, for your interest and support of Midpoint if you enjoyed this show and missed our summer fundraiser, you're in luck. There's still time to make a generous donation at WMNF.org slash donate. And please direct your donation to MPW, Midpoint Wednesday. Uh, please stay tuned for Talking Animals with Duncan Strauss up next. Dun I see Duncan getting ready. Before I let you go, Chris, is there anything you'd like to add that we haven't uh, talked about? <coughs> no, just wanted to thank you for having me and, uh, you know, to all the the calls and questions from the audience. Thank you very much. Um, if you do want to follow up with me, uh, you can send me an email. Uh, it's chris at Solera. It's P-S-I-L-E-R-A dot com. Oh, you're going to get a lot of emails. I think. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> I think. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that's uh, Solera dot com. You can check Chris's research out on the internet and learn more about it. Uh, we are WMNF Tampa and we will be back next week hopefully with a show about Drag Queen Story Hour to commemorate Pride. Uh, and I hope you'll tune in next week. So thank you. WMNF Tampa. Going down. Hey, time is